Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. When I think about just my rock star candidate or students that we recruited and that have just been very successful either in their office or in the Americas or frankly globally, I think about two things. I think about their work ethic and their perseverance. I think those are two things that you can't always teach. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life and Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Annalise Schumacher, a director in the campus recruiting function with EY. We were very fortunate to get some of Annalise's time today for the podcast. I went looking for someone that was willing to share their insights with us for the benefit of those of you that may be entering the recruiting season yourselves or maybe you are already in the middle of it. The folks at EY were very gracious and connected me with Annalise. You'll hear this in the interview, but she's been with EY and involved in recruiting at this level for over 14 years. So she's the perfect person for this episode. This really is a great interview, and interestingly enough, Annalise started in a tax operations role years ago, even though she didn't come through the typical accounting route, so to speak. She's had a very interesting career herself. While we're on the subject of growing your career, some comments Annalise makes in this interview reminded me of some of the other tidbits of advice from previous guests, which we've condensed down into our new book, 49 Tips for a Successful Accounting Career. If you're looking for a Cliff Notes kind of summary of some of the best advice our guests have shared, please check out our book on Amazon. Once again, that title is 49 Tips for a Successful Accounting Career. I'd love to hear what you think. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Annalise Schumacher, a director in the recruiting function with EY. Well, hello, Annalise. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. Well, for the audience, this episode's going to be a little different. We have Annalise Schumacher on the line, and Annalise is in the campus recruiting function with EY. A few weeks ago, I started looking for someone to come on the program and talk a little bit about the recruiting process and hopes of helping those of you that may be in school and are going through that process or are going to go through that process. And the folks there at EY very graciously accepted the invitation. Even if you aren't personally in that process yourself right now, I'm sure most of us know someone that this would benefit. So please share the episode out. We're trying to get the word out as much as possible. Annalise, I definitely do want to get into the recruiting information part of the show because that's going to be the majority of our conversation. But since you personally have some accounting-related experience, I found it interesting that you have a psychology degree and then had joined Anderson for a little while in the tax operations role. And I was sort of curious to get some background on that and how that happened. What led you to an accounting firm of all places early on? Yeah, that, Mark, is a great question. I did, in fact, graduate from UCLA with a degree in psychology. And 
really at the time of graduation, I was hoping to jump into a career in traditional human resources. I really, I knew I wanted to work for a large employer. And in fact, many of my friends in school were part of the UCLA Anderson School of Business and had in fact graduated with degrees in accounting. So I was very familiar with at the time kind of the five public accounting firms. So I applied to various roles at these firms as well as some other large companies and stumbled, frankly, upon the operations role, not really appreciating what it was and, frankly, how it would really carve out my career journey, you know, up to this point. But really ended up at Anderson just because I knew I was familiar with the company and it was just the best place for me to start out. Tax operations at Anderson was really the practice. It was We were not CPAs. It was not a group that did tax returns, but we were really the operations behind the tax practice. You know, it is what it said it is. We were responsible for hiring goals. We were responsible for staffing, staff, seniors, and managers on engagement. We were responsible for managing utilization, changes in billing rates, and really just the business behind the tax practice at Anderson. So it was really, frankly, a great place for me to start understand business, how the public accounting firm operates, and really understanding that relationship between the firm and the client. Interesting. That's an area or portion of it a lot of us don't get to see. At that time, how large was tax operations per se? Or Because you're naming off a lot of duties there. I mean, how large? Yeah, we had, <laughs> we had a team of about five people that ran the Southern California tax practice at the time for Anderson. So there were several of us that had different roles, but all five of us kind of, those were the main responsibilities for the, for the team of five. So it was certainly a small but mighty group. But like I said, I think the value of the role specifically scheduling and understanding, you know, the importance of making sure we have the right skill set on the right client assignment, serving clients, something I still kind of fall back on today and certainly use on campus as I'm, you know, talking about the importance of hiring top talent for the clients that we serve here at EY. Sure, sure. Yeah, I imagine that was great experience for you to be able to really communicate well and, and relate well to the students that you're potentially, you know, putting in functions like that now. <laughs> wow. That's right. Wonderful. So how did you end up transitioning then into recruiting after tax operations? Yeah, like many people, found myself at the end of of Anderson's Road and was really fortunate enough to be able to transition directly over to Deloitte during that turbulent time. The Deloitte practice in California and specifically Southern California really took on a lot of the tax folks from Anderson as well as the supporting cast, which I was included in. And so I found myself leaving Anderson on a Friday and showing up at Deloitte on a Monday And really, Deloitte didn't have an operations role at their firm. That was not a function that they had at Deloitte. But I was more so put into a traditional HR generalist role for about 60 to 70% of the time. And then I really got to dabble in campus recruiting. And I think throughout my time at Deloitte, I really saw that the campus role played to my strengths. I really enjoyed the energy, the people aspect, the travel, getting out on campus and really selling the firm to, frankly, folks that were just starting out in their careers, either from an intern or full-time perspective. And so 
really my two years at Deloitte certainly focused on HR more traditionally, but was able to kind of get a peek into campus recruiting. And that's really when I knew that I needed to start looking for opportunities in campus recruiting full time. And as I'm sure others have mentioned to your listeners, you know, the public accounting world is a very small world, especially after Anderson went away. There were former Anderson folks at all these firms. And I certainly knew a lot of people at EY when I was at Deloitte. And then the campus recruiting world opened up at EY. And that's kind of where I wanted to go. So it just seemed like the natural move over into a full-time campus recruiting role with EY. Okay. Yeah, there's definitely an energy and just a yeah a positive energy atmosphere you get from being back on campus you know, after you, you're in your professional life a little bit. I agree. I enjoy when I get to go speak to students and that kind of yeah. thing. Yes, definitely. It's very rewarding. <laughs> Do you need another campus recruiter there? Because I'm in South Texas. I, <laughs> That's right. I We're always looking for <laughs> Before we get into the campus recruiting process and that kind of thing, I did want to talk about EY a little bit because I mean, most of the people listening to the podcast will know who EY is, but maybe just from a very superficial level, you know, national accounting firm, big four, that kind of thing. Not necessarily what the differentiating factors are, if I should say it that way. What do you personally enjoy about working at EY? I really have just found my forever home. I certainly have had the experience to work with different firms and they are all amazing firms. They all are superb in terms of how they serve their clients, the energy that all of these public accounting firms create in the market, how they train their people. There's not a bad firm. Um, But I have really found my fit at EY. I love the culture. It's definitely a high-performing team culture. You are challenged every day. No day is the same. And certainly there are folks to really challenge you to think outside the box, try it a new way, think innovatively, and especially in the campus world where every year is a different year. The candidates every year want to see something different, hear from different people. The competition is constantly doing things. So it's a really exciting environment for me. The firm also places a lot of emphasis on taking care of yourself outside of work, finding balance, doing things you enjoy. There's a real big push for wellness. And I think that's important because we do work hard. We do look, work long hours, not only in the profession as an auditor or a tax professional, but also in campus recruiting. We're out three or four nights a week and we're on the road for long stretches of time. And so we do work really hard, you know, in all departments of, of EY. And that emphasis on taking care of yourself outside of work is really important to me. And I love that the firm does that. I think, you know, one of the things they're constantly reminding us is that, you know, EY doesn't, along with the other big four firms, you know, they don't make widgets, right? They're not producing a product. The only thing they have is their people. So it's really important that people bring their full selves to work. They're engaged, they're energized, and they're ready to serve their clients. And and really the main way to do that is to make sure that outside of work, you're getting what you need satisfied, right? Energy, time off with family, friends, travel, whatever it is that makes you happy and makes you complete. So I really, I really appreciate that about the firm. And then finally, I've really just made lifelong friendships. I mean, the people that I've been able to work with, and I've been based in Los Angeles, I've been based in Dallas. I have friends at the firm from, you know, probably 15 major cities. We travel together. We've been in weddings. We've been at, you know, babies' birthday parties and certainly lifelong friendships for sure. So those are just the things that I think 
people won't see on a website or in a campus brochure. You really have to listen to people, talk to them through the recruiting process and really get a feel for the culture. And that's certainly, I think we all have similar stories as to why we stay and what kind of engages us at the firm. I love that, that you mentioned wellness, because so often we get into the conversation about, you know, work-life balance and that, you know, term is thrown around so much, but it's rare in these conversations that we end up hitting on wellness, which I think really gets down to the heart of what a lot of people mean by work-life balance. (laughs) Right. Um, like to use the word work-life flexibility, right? Because I feel like, and and I share this with candidates all the time too, that balance implies that your week is balanced, that, you know, for every really big project you worked on, you were able to leave work and take care of something personally. And maybe that's true to a certain extent, but it's not always that 50-50. And so I really like to use flexibility because there's going to be times where work needs to take priority and maybe your personal life needs to take a little bit of a backseat you know, like tax or audit busy season or campus green busy season. But then there's other times where your personal life can really take the front seat and you're really encouraged by the firm to take care of yourself and leave early or leave on time, you know, at a normal hour when you can or get those doctor's appointments in when you can because things are slow at work. And so I really like the word flexibility. I feel like balance is more so 50-50 and it's not always 50-50. That's a great point. So what are some of the things that you and your team look for in new hires outside of GPA? Because I think the students understand that there are some GPA expectations. But outside of that, what are some of the other characteristics or traits that you right. no, that's up for? So I think it's a combination and no one candidate is going to probably have it all, but we certainly look for leadership and teamwork and somebody's involvement in extracurricular activities, whatever those are, whether it's extracurricular with, you know, student organizations or whether it's involvement in your church or your community center. Certainly we want to see, you know, themes around work ethic, professional maturity, right? We are in a environment where on day one, you're getting exposure to the client. It's not like we put you in a back room for the first three years of your career and groom you. As an intern and a staff, you're already working and interacting with our clients. So we're really looking for that professional maturity. And finally, communication skills. And that goes for all of our practices, audit, tax, consulting. I don't think people realize how much writing you do in audit and tax. And so again, we're looking for communication skills, not only verbal and how you connect with people one-on-one, but also in written form. So those are some of the key characteristics. I do get asked quite frequently about relevant work experience, Mark. We do not look for relevant work experience. That's not necessary at the entry and internship level for us at EY. We feel that most of the skills I just mentioned really can be built and strengthened through their experience on team projects, extracurricular activities at school, working at your local Starbucks. You do not need to work in an accounting department or an accounting office or a small CPA firm Does it help? And certainly will it give you more understanding of what you might do at EY? Sure. But it's certainly not a deal breaker. And I would say the vast majority of our candidates, in fact, do not have relevant accounting work experience that they bring to the table. For example, we actually just hired a student athlete, most recently a track athlete through the recruiting process. And again, you know, when you look at their resume, not a lot of work experience, not a lot of 
extracurricular student organizations because of their dedication to their sport. But when you look at teamwork and leadership and work ethic and drive and motivation, all the skills that we're looking for are really applicable to what they do as a student athlete. Same with somebody that's an officer in Beta Alpha Psi. Again, the experience that they have interacting with the firm or interacting with administration on campus, working with their peers, other officers, those experiences will all give us an idea and a look into how the characteristics are developing in those individuals. So those are just some two examples of how we are looking for the characteristics and skills in, frankly, two different candidate profiles. Hmm. You said something that piqued my interest, written communication. Mm -hmm. Outside of the resume itself, do you guys do anything to try to get an idea of how polished someone's written communication is? It varies by practice. So certainly what we have just in our day-to-day correspondence, for the most part, EY and on all of the public accounting firms are really corresponding via email. So again, how the emails are drafted, punctuation, whether they're using correct grammar or slang, uppercase versus lowercase, that really gives us a good peek into their communication skills. We also look at their resume and cover letter. I think you'd be surprised how many times that we can just look at a resume and how the bullets and the sentences laid out to really understand grammatically how strong they are or are not. And then finally, we do have a small number of practices that actually do ask for a writing sample as part okay. of their interview process. So you know, different ways. We look at it through different ways. And then through the internship program, right? The internship program is not an automatic full-time offer, but certainly as somebody is an intern and is out on the job and is, is you know, completing work papers and doing write-ups for the client, we can certainly assess the writing skills through the internship program. Okay. Okay. That's interesting that you actually read the cover letters. <laughs> I, yes, I we do. Yeah. I don't know if they're always we can probably get the content of the cover letter fairly quickly in terms of what they're interested in and where they're going and whether they're going to be CPA eligible. But I think if you just dig down and even just read the first paragraph, I think you'll be able to see how well they're written. And and certainly we do expect to a certain degree that cover letter has maybe been proofread by a couple other people. So certainly if there are mistakes on it, that raises extra red flags because we would have assumed, you know, somebody may have had somebody else proofread it or look at it prior to submitting it. Sure. (laughs) Are there specific GPA requirements or does that vary by school or area or how does that work? So EY does not have a minimum GPA. You will not see a GPA in any of our EY job descriptions. And we really do this because we want the business to be able to make exceptions if it's the right hiring decision for the firm. So For example, we see candidates that maybe have a lower GPA because they started out as a chemistry major or they started out as an engineering major and their first two semesters or year were really rough. So if we just went on GPA, it's probably not telling the whole story. So we really encourage everybody to apply. And that's why we ask for you to submit your unofficial transcript. So if somebody is kind of at that 3.0 level or below, We will maybe take a look at the transcripts to understand, well, why? Are they just a flat B student? And if that's the case, I'm fine with that. If they had a really rough first year because they were an engineering major or a chem major, 
but man, their accounting grades are really strong after that, we will still consider them. And we also understand that life sometimes needs to take priority. I talked a little bit about that earlier. Sometimes your personal life has to take priority. Sometimes work has to take priority. We understand that's no different for students. And and many of our students sometimes are dealing with really challenging things in their personal life, you know, a death of a parent, an illness, whatever it may be. And, And certainly we want to understand the story behind that. But again, we wouldn't want to make a minimum GPA the reason that we didn't move forward. We would just want to have further conversations to understand what happened, why there was maybe a challenging semester or two, and how they're trending, you know, most recently. Mm, Hope that answers your question. Yeah, you wouldn't want to miss out on a quality hire just because you know, they had some, you know, tragedy in their family one semester or something like that that drew down their GPA. Yeah, we also, yeah, no, and and Mark, I was going to say, we also see a lot of non-traditional candidates, right? So non-traditional candidates, maybe they went to a junior college or maybe they went to school for a year or two. And maybe at the time they just weren't focused on school and maybe they didn't do so well and they left and maybe worked for a year or two and came back. And again, when you dig into the transcripts, you see that maybe there was a maturity that took place over the last couple of years. And maybe their grades were really low when they first started college, but they maybe took a break, figured out what was going on, where they needed to focus, came back, and they've been a great student then. So again, we want to take into account all of those scenarios, which is why you won't see a minimum GPA for EY. Perfect. Now, you've been doing this for a while now. You've been at EY 14, 15 years, something like that, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. It'll be 15 years in February, so about 14 and a half. So you have, you've seen people that you recruited in the early days, you know, move through the practice at this point, mm-hmm. be promoted and that kind of thing. When you think about some of your success stories from a recruiting standpoint, are there any traits that, you know, you think back and you go, you know, I knew she was going to do well because of this, or I knew he was going to do well because of that. Any success stories that you can think of? Yeah, I think to your first point, I certainly have seen folks matriculate through the firm. I think a couple of years ago, my first intern class was promoted to partner. So that certainly made me sit back. And when I was sending my partner congratulation emails, and a few of them were former interns of mine, it it certainly made me think back about my and think about my career at EY, which is crazy. I don't feel like I recruited partners when they were interns, but I most certainly did. When I think about the traits, I really... I really think that it's the things that you can't teach that are what make people the most successful at the firm. I think when I think about just my rock star candidates or students that we recruited and that have just been very successful either in their office or in the Americas or frankly globally, I think about two things. I think about their work ethic and their perseverance. I think those are two things that you can't always teach. And I will say EY are great teachers. We teach you a ton. We will teach you technical skills. We will help you with polish. We will help you be better sales folks to to get out in the market and get comfortable selling work. We can teach you a lot. But, But I think the two things that we probably can't teach somebody and that are more so ingrained in you are your work ethic and your perseverance. And I think those are two important things. I think work ethic is really important. We do work really hard, especially, you know, in our busy seasons, whether it's audit or tax or transactions where you're working on a really IPO and everybody's in one room together and it's crazy busy until all hours of the night. But that work ethic is really important. And I think the other piece is that perseverance. 
everybody at the firm makes mistakes. It doesn't matter whether you're an intern or a senior or a partner, you are going to make a mistake. You are going to be challenged in a way that you just never thought you were going to be challenged. You're going to be face setbacks and disappointments in your career. And the firm tells us this, and I always tell candidates, it's not the mistake. It's not the setback. It's not the challenge that was the issue. It was how did you rebound from it? How did you persevere? How did you kind of pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and keep going? And the people that can do that, that can compartmentalize and say, hey, today was a bad day, or man, that client interaction wasn't great, but tomorrow's a new day and we're going to start fresh. Those are the folks that people want to work with. Those are the folks that people want to have leading their projects. So those are two things that I would say the firm right now is laser focused on and certainly a skill set that we continue to look for in the market. That's a great point because I suspect that some of your new recruits, you know, at the intern level and entry level are not used to failing at anything. You know, they've done well in school, they've done well in an internship. And so sometimes that first major failure, if you will, is occurring on the job where that's how they feel. And so perseverance, that, wow, that is a, that's a great point. That is exactly right, Mark. I mean, we hire the best of the best, top of the class. They've had strong grade. Most of them passed the CPA in one sitting, maybe two sittings, but you're right. They've always, they've always done very well. And then all of a sudden they get out onto their first job and they've got more review notes than they know what to do with. And they are (laughs) shocked and they're like, oh my goodness, I've never gotten this many edits. What am I doing wrong? Maybe I'm not cut out for this. And that's not it at all. And everybody, you know, we do, we are an apprenticeship model. Everybody has been in their shoes. Everybody's been a staff. Everybody's worked their way up. But again, it's that perseverance, like, hey, learn from it and move on and really take that into your next job or your next experience. And so it's truly very important. It's important on the client serving side. It's important in our world in recruiting. But those are really two things that I would say people should embrace, work on, practice, and really be thoughtful about as they are looking to enter the profession. Well, thank you. There's a 4.0 student out there somewhere listening to this that needs to hear that. (laughs) That's right. Thank you. That's right. They will make mistakes. (laughs) That's okay. Well, flipping to the tough love side, what mistakes, just out and out mistakes, do you see that some students make during the campus interview process or campus recruiting process? You know, I think especially in public accounting recruiting, there's a lot of networking and pre-identification event go on prior to the interview. Certainly, we'll put up a job posting, see a resume, and interview them. But for a lot of candidates, if they're involved in Beta Alpha Psi or Accounting Society or any other you know, student organizations, we, as all the firms, are very involved in the classroom and go out and do presentations. So for many of our candidates, we have a relationship with them or we've met them and been networking with them. And I think one of the things that I do see occasionally is that students really approach the interview very relaxed and almost too confident, right? And it's a little tricky because we do know them and we do have a relationship with them, but at the end of the day, it's still an interview. And so, you know, it's it's funny. I, you know, I will participate in a discussion after interviews and it's like, man, you know, Joey's a great candidate, but just the way he sat in the chair and the way he responded to my questions, it was as, as if we were, you know, best friends hanging out over lunch as opposed to I'm a partner at the firm and you're a candidate. We're having a traditional interview. And so it's a fine line, but I do think you're really taking the interview process very seriously and very professionally, even if you do know the company that you're interviewing with very well. 
So I think that's something that I would certainly remind students, especially as all the firms are getting out there earlier and earlier. I feel like we're now doing events with freshmen and sophomores. And so the relationship piece has been great. And it's been great networking with those individuals and frankly, not meeting you for the first time at the interview, but you also still have to remember it's an interview. So I think that's it. That's one piece. I think, you know, the other piece is, you know, we, as I think most of the big four firms leverage behavioral interviews as kind of our interview format. And really for the students, most of your students, you know, listening should be aware of that because that's really been something that the firms have done for many, many, many years. But it's behavioral-based questioning. And the theory behind that is that your past behaviors will predict your future behaviors. So, The firms will ask questions. EY will ask a question to say, please describe a time you had to work with a really difficult person, or please describe a time where you had to rebound from a mistake or rebound from a disappointment. Walk me through that situation. And what we're looking for is exact examples. You cannot get more detailed in these responses. And I think that the career centers have done a really good job with their mock interviews and just different resources that they've provided to the students. So they should be very prepared to answer these questions. And it's, I think, certainly another mistake is where maybe students don't come in having thought about maybe some of the questions they could have been asked. And so maybe they don't give examples or they say, well, I've never had a failure or I've never worked with a difficult person. And that's a big red flag for us because we know everybody's worked with a challenging teammate or, you know, colleague. So again, people that don't come prepared to answer those behavioral-based questions, I think that's That's a mistake that can be avoided just because I know the career centers at all of these programs do a great job preparing their students. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I was curious how often, you know, for lack of a better term, the the students bomb, you know, the behavioral question. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I don't think it's, yeah, oftentimes it's not the response. You know, sometimes it certainly is the response, meaning that we really are, it's like pulling teeth, getting a response or not getting exact examples. You know, certainly that does happen, but a lot of times it's just their comfort level and their professionalism and their communication skills. And so I think a lot of it goes into kind of our assessment of that on-campus interview. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's, you've given us a lot of insight. Thank you. That is perfect. Do you have any advice for students, you know, prospective new hires on the rest of the process, that the post-campus interview? part of the process, you know, where they're coming to the office Mm -hmm. and and that kind of stuff. Any thoughts in that area? Absolutely. So the post-interview process, I think, is twofold. So I think this is a great time to be building these relationships, right? You've maybe had your first interview. Maybe you're about to go into the office for final round of interviews, or maybe you've just completed those. And I think this is where candidates should really sit back and think about the relationships that they have built with each of these employers where they see themselves working, where they see the greatest opportunity for mentors, and really where they feel they can truly be themselves. And I really emphasize that to all the candidates that I speak to. Not every firm or not every company is for everybody. And if you have to check your true self at the door prior to getting to a firm's event or a company's event, or you've got to check yourself at the door and be like, okay, I've got to put on this alter ego or this alter, you know, this other personality to go to this recruiting event or this, you know, firm dinner or firm information night, that's not the place for you. You spend a lot of hours at work and you should be able to bring your whole self to work. 
you shouldn't have to check anything at the door. So you really need to find candidates really need to sit back and find a place where they can be their authentic selves every day at work. I mean, certainly, you know, you need to be professional work. It's still a work setting, but where you're not really behaving or being somebody that you're not at work. So I think that's really, really important. I've actually talked to a lot of candidates about that. And then I think it's also a really good time to weigh the pros and cons. Let's say you have multiple offers from various employers and really kind of mapping out the pros and cons. And obviously the relationship piece is big, but what does training at these different employers look like? What does what different initiatives or investments does this firm or company make and, and do they align with your own personal values? Career progression, benefits, exposure to leadership. Those are all things that I would almost have a candidate or recommend a candidate sit down and almost do a matrix and, and kind of decide what's most important to them. Some candidates I speak to, it was all about market share. They wanted to be with a client that had the biggest market share. I've talked to candidates where market share doesn't really matter at all. They are more so interested in, are people going to be looking out for me and taking care of me and really taking me under their wings to teach and coach me? So everybody has something different that they're looking for. But so it's a very personal process. But certainly those are things that I would start to think about in this post on-campus interview process. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I find that so many times they're looking at, you know, the, the multitude of variables to consider and, and really it comes down to where they think they can be successful. And a lot of times that's a gut feeling. You know, they feel a better fit about one choice or another. So thank you. You've, you've given us some really good advice. So I don't know what I don't know. So what should I be asking you about that I didn't include? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I feel like we really have covered a wide range of topics, which is great. I think the only other piece I would maybe throw in there is, you know, that we didn't talk about is really researching the companies that people are interested in in interviewing with. I feel like we're in a state of information overload. Everything is at our fingertips. I think even most of the firms have probably gone away with collateral and gone away with those, you know, hand candidates, a brochure at campus events. And most everything now is online or on a Facebook page or on a LinkedIn. I know LinkedIn is getting a lot more traffic from the candidate. I know it's a little bit a little bit slow going from a candidate perspective, but I know that LinkedIn is gaining a lot more momentum with this group of candidates. So again, I feel like really educating themselves, the importance of educating themselves on the different employers that they might be interested in. It, it They don't have to be experts. They don't have to understand, you know, everything about what a career and audit looks like, or they don't have to you know, be experts in what, you know, a career and tax looks like, but certainly understanding what is EY, what do they do, what are some of the service lines to give us the impression that you've visited the website and maybe have done some research is really important. Again, I think just because everything is so easily accessible, certainly would encourage students to do research. Now, I will also caveat that by saying, if I'm sitting in an interview, which I have, and somebody is regurgitating to me press release information or statistics, that also is probably not a great thing either. So it's finding the happy medium. I, for one, will tell you I've been asked about recent press releases that the firm has made in an interview, and I will be usually very candid to say I don't usually read the EY press releases on EY.com on a habitual basis, but and so I usually have to take their word for what they're asking me or telling me. So I think it's finding the balance of being educated, but not being maybe 
over the top in terms of knowing every statistic about the firm and every revenue, you know, down to the dollar on the firm revenue. So it's, again, not kind of being educated, but not being so, you know, having done so much research that you make even the partners and owners of the firm, you know, feel unknowledgeable about their own firm. <laughs> You're not supposed to try to show up the interview. Yeah, right? you can't be showing up the partners, right. <laughs> Beautiful. That is good advice. That is good advice. Well, I end every podcast with the same three questions, and I thought it would still be appropriate in this case. So first one's usually the easiest. From your personal standpoint, career-wise, what's been your proudest moment? Yeah, I was thinking about that, Mark. And I think, well, I know my proudest moment was my promotion to director at EY. For it is the equivalent of being promoted to a partner or principal on the client-serving side of the house. It is the highest firm rank or position for non-CPAs at EY. And it was just a huge accomplishment for me. I think it really, I sat back and I think it really showed me that the firm really recognized, you know, almost 15 years of hard work. I've relocated on behalf of the firm. I have had numerous roles at the firm, led various projects. And I really think it was the culmination of all of that hard work and being recognized for it to be promoted to director. And that's just something that hopefully, you know, I've in 20 more years of my career, you know, I will take my director role and continue to build on it. But I think that was a really proud achievement. Again, we, the new directors get together with the new senior managers and the new senior, the executive directors and partners. And it's just a really rewarding experience to network with all of the leaders in the firm and that have really gotten to this place in their career. So that was probably my, my proudest moment. That is major. You should be proud of that. Definitely. Well, tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it. <laughs> well, as I mentioned in my early response, I do make mistakes. We all make mistakes. So, you know, we didn't talk about kind of the collaboration. We've talked about communication, but I was thinking about this question and, and you know, collaboration. And, you know, so in our business unit and the business unit that I lead, we tend to be very decisive. We are not afraid of making decisions. We need to get the right people on board, but when we make a decision, we go with it. And even if it's not perfect, we know we'll retool it along the way. And probably within the last year, I made a decision to roll out a new process in our region and had buy-in from everybody in my business unit and at the local level. And they thought it was a great idea. And I was very excited about it. It was very innovative. And it it was certainly going to shake things up in our region. It was a brand new process. It was really rolling out virtual interviews in our region, which we had never done before. My one small error in judgment was that I did not necessarily loop in some of the national business units that certainly don't report up to me, but they are in our footprint. So they certainly have people that sit in our markets here in the Southwest region, but are not part of our business unit per se. And To say that it rocked their world and created a firestorm would be an understatement. And so even at the director level, I certainly had a good reminder of the importance of collaboration and communication. And after much apologizing, maybe doing a little bit of unraveling, we still came to the right decision. We still ultimately rolled out virtual interviews, but I certainly did need to go back and have some further discussion and dialogue. And again, it was just a good reminder that even at the highest levels of the firm, you still need to collaborate, you still need to communicate, and you still need to make sure that the right people have a seat at the table. Sure, sure. It's easy to get excited about something like that, though, virtual interviewing. I mean, that's a major step. So (laughs) I can see how that That happens. That's a podcast for another day, Mark. 
There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, final question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? You know, and I, and I wish I received this piece of advice much earlier on in my career, but it really is as simple as don't sweat the small stuff. I think about things that or issues that I worried about 15 years ago, 10 years ago in my career that today wouldn't even be on my radar. And I really challenge myself every day. Is this something to get worked up over? Is this something to make a big deal out of? Or can life go on and we just move past this? And I really think, you know, not sweating the small stuff, really, it's so simple, yet it's so hard to do. It's very hard to do. And I feel like I've gotten much better at it. And like I said, I wish I had gotten this piece of advice much earlier on, because I think back about, you know, just things that I worried about in earlier on in my career or, or meetings that I had that I didn't have to have and, and decisions that we made that in the long run didn't really matter. And so, again, I think, you know, that certainly is something to consider that, you know, let's weigh the pros and cons. You know, is this worth going to battle over? Is this really going to change the trajectory of a process or a decision? And if the answer is no, then just move forward. So, again, I challenge you know myself every day. I challenge my team every day to not sweat the small stuff. There are so many big things that we can worry about and need to change and need to address that the little stuff just should not be on our radar. So that I certainly would share that with students. I know it's easier said than done. I know early on in your career, even the students, everything seems like a big deal or so important. And then I feel like as life passes you by and you have more perspective, the things that we used to worry about are just not as important as we once thought they were. And so that would be Something that I would challenge the listeners to think about and maybe start practicing is not sweating the small stuff. That's good advice, not just because of the the student level and the point that, you know, they're in and starting their career, but also because we're accountants. So we need to hear that kind of thing. (laughs) Right, right. As my accountants like to say, if it's immaterial, then let's just move on. And so I hear that a lot even in the business. So, yeah, so it's, it's realizing where on the scale something is. And if it's it's on the low end of the scale, probably okay to move forward and maybe not worry about it. Wonderful. Well, that is great advice to end this on. For the audience, this has been yet another episode of Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited that website, please do so. We're going to have the show notes for Annalise's episode up there, as well as we have links to all the different accounting certifications and review courses that you may want to look into as well. Once again, that's whereaccountantsgo.com. On that note, Annalise, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to leave the audience with? I just want to wish, you know, depending on where the students are, I'm sure all your listeners are in a different phase of their career journey. For those folks that obviously know where they're about to start full time or if they're already employed, you know, I think that that is fantastic. If they're actually in the recruiting process, I just wish them the best of luck and hopefully they can take one or two things away from this podcast to help them in that recruiting process. Wonderful. Well, thank you again to the audience for joining us and thank you, Annalise. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.